Hey, everyone, we've been uh, having some conversations about wisdom and what it looks like to become wiser and to gain wisdom. And, and with the idea that when we engage with our world, when we engage with culture, with politics, we, we should be seeking the truth and seeking wisdom and those things as God defines them. So we should be seeking essentially God's will for how we should engage with our world. And today we're talking about what we call bad faith discovery. Bad faith discovery is the idea that sometimes as Christians we are tempted to to not actually seek the truth, but rather to reinforce what we already believe and what we already think. And that happens in two specific ways that we're going to talk about. The first one is through intentionally blurring, which is convincing ourselves that things are more unclear than they actually are. And the second is through what we call willful avoidance, which is basically avoiding new information or avoiding certain information that you think is going to challenge your preconceived notion. Both of these things are huge temptations for Christians. I'm tempted uh, in both of these directions all the time, which is why we wanted to spend an episode talking about this common pitfall to wisdom that we call bad faith discovery. Yeah, so we, we just came up with this a couple minutes ago. Yeah, we the, like it. We like bad it, faith though. discovery. I think it really hits what we're trying to say. It, it kind of just uh, goes at the idea of uh, like like a bad faith negotiation where you go in without any intention of actually negotiating. When we're trying to discover new information, we just go in without any intention of actually exploring the different topics and actually exploring the different sides to a conversation or an argument. We go in with our mind made up, and then what we do is we just look for information that supports what what we've already decided. Uh, we do this theologically. I think we do this when it comes to cultural issues of our day, uh, politics, of course. We, we, we do this all the time. And we have this ability because there is so much information out there that we can navigate to find whatever we want to already find without honestly exploring the different sides of the conversation. So an example of what we're talking about from Scripture, it's a pretty, a pretty famous example. Jesus is before Pilate, and um, Jesus basically calls himself a king, and Pilate kind of reacts to that. He says, oh, you're a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate responds with, what is truth? And with that, he goes out to the Jews, asks the Jews, and he says, I find no basis for charge against him, but he leaves it to the Jews to decide, and, um, and they basically decide to crucify Jesus and to release Barabbas. So what Pilate, yeah, he's just looking for a way out. Like his, he, he's got uh, Caesar on one side who doesn't want any insurrection or any, any fighting going on in Jerusalem, which Jerusalem was famous for having uh, violence, violent uprisings. Um, so he knows that Caesar's watching that. He can't have that. He also wants to you know, keep, the, keep the Jewish people happy in order to not have a violent insurrection. So he's just he's just looking for a way out. Like right. He he knows Jesus is innocent. And remember he washes his hands of the situation um, because he know he finds no fault in him. He knows he's innocent and he knows the right thing to do is to let him go. But pragmatically, if he does that, he's gonna have a violent insurrection on his hands. At least he thinks. So he avoids the right thing to do and he just tries to get out of it. Letting himself off the hook. Yeah. Right? He's letting himself off the hook is what he's trying to do. And, and in a way he does it effectively, mm-hmm. but it leads to the crucifixion of Jesus, which as we know, theologically is all part of God's plan. But Pilate and what he's trying to do is just let himself off the hook. Right. And there's something really profound that we can take away from when, he, when Pilate says, what is truth? And um, what Pilate is doing there 
is he knows what the truth in that situation is. But rather than just, nobody wants to say, I know what's right and I'm not going to do it. Instead, he does what, what we call sort of like an intentional blurring of the situation. Um, or what we would call maybe throwing up your hands, right? Of saying like, well, who knows what? And that's a really common thing today where we, there's so much information, there's so much going on. And sometimes, sometimes we can actually struggle to know which information is correct. But there are other times when, because of what we want to believe is correct, we will throw up our hands and say, well, it's impossible to know for sure. So now I can continue with the trajectory I was already on, right? And so that's, that's, what, that's what we're calling bad faith discovery. Mm-hmm. It's you didn't, you didn't explore that searching for the truth. You explored that looking for, to confirm what you already wanted to do. And one of the ways that, one of the ways that we do that a lot, when we don't have a clear answer that fits what we want, instead of just saying, oh, I guess I better change, we do the intentional blurring thing that Pilate did and say like, well, it's impossible to know. There's hypocrisy mm-hmm. on both sides. There's this, there's that. Now, I guess I, I guess I better just do whatever makes sense to me in my head, right? So here's, an, here's a kind of a lighthearted example um, of what that can look like in a, in a day-to-day uh, situation. So say you buy an old building and, um, and you find out there's asbestos in there. And it's going to be really expensive to take out the asbestos the, the safe right way. You get a company that comes in with like whatever. They do it safely, right? Um, or you can hire a couple guys for 10 bucks an hour who don't know what asbestos is and they can do it, right? It's pretty clear what the right thing to do there is. But if money's tight, and it's the the gap in cost between the two is in the it well into the thousands, right? You might be tempted to say like, yeah, but what do we really know about asbestos? And I mean, more more than likely, these guys are going to be fine. It's and you know they they agreed to it. They know what they're getting into, and they're adults. Or there's different ways that we can blur what honestly, if we if you if, from an outside perspective, when that doesn't cost us anything, it's pretty clear. Like, no, asbestos does cause cancer. Do it the right way. Um, if you want to take the risk, do it yourself, go for it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a risk you can take. I wouldn't recommend it. Right. But, but putting someone else in that situation to save yourself money and then just, and then sort of blurring the lines of what's ethically right there. Um, that would be, that'd be sort of like a, just an example of intentional blurring so that you can do the thing that benefits you. Yeah. And just throwing up your hands and saying like, I can't possibly know. So I'm not even going to explore it giving yourself the excuse to continue on the, the way of thinking and the trajectory that you were on before. And in one sense, I get it. Like there's so much information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find, you can find a source to confirm whatever bias you already have. That's common knowledge that we all know. Um, we can't possibly be experts in everything, mm-hmm. but one of the things that that I constantly look, look to, and I've seen in my own life and my own experience is when I am challenged with information that doesn't fit my narrative, I, I tend to get angry. Like it unsettles me. Right. And why <laughs> is the question that I come back to is it doesn't make sense. Like this is, this is just some impersonal blog that I'm reading or a podcast mm-hmm. that I'm listening to. Like I can listen to that completely disregard it and move on. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting really unsettled with that. Why? Because it doesn't fit my narrative and because it's going to force me to rethink some things and to go back and, rediscover in good faith, right? What is the truth here? Because truth is really important, especially for Christians. And this, this really comes into play in biblical study. I remember in seminary, when I first went to seminary, I was, 
I was really big on young earth creationism. That was like my thing. Right. And when I started hearing some opinions that were contradictory to that, I immediately just got angry and kind of shut it down and just looked for arguments to defend myself. And right. at some point I started to think like, why am I doing this? Why, mm-hmm. why is this narrative from people who love Jesus, who loved the gospel and who loved scripture and were really good students of scripture? Why was I so unsettled by that? And the only answer that I could come to is because it just didn't fit my preconceived notion that I had already believed. And it forced me to go back and re-examine it. And it was uncomfortable. It was unsettling. It was difficult. But I think it helped lead me closer to truth. Yeah. And I think it, postmodernism is is an idea that if, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard cautions about postmodernism. It was a really hot topic maybe maybe 15 years ago, about maybe closer to 20 now. But that what is truth question of the idea of like, your truth is your truth. Can we really know, right? And Christians at that time, it was like, no, we reject that. The truth is what's founded here in God's word, you know. But what's definitely happening now is in our Christian culture, we have that same instinct to blur those lines mm-hmm. of what's clearly true, right? There are times when when scripture um, doesn't make us comfortable. There are times when... There's times what whatever is happening in the world and, and what we should do as Christians doesn't make us comfortable. And we look for that out. We do that same thing where we intentionally blur and say it's impossible to know what's true so that that gives us license basically to do uh, what we want to do. All we have to do is blur it enough that it's not clear and then and then that's going to serve our side, right? Um, or or our the end that we want, right? And so, but that is, that sort of postmodernism is now, that's mainstream Christian culture now to do that. Um, it, we just do it different ways around the mm-hmm. things that we want to. So to be clear, the concerns about where postmodern thought would go in the church, I think we're 100% correct. I think around sexual ethics, we see all the time that people are willing to just go to a place where they say, I don't know if it's that clear to me. I don't know if we can make this as black and white as what the Bible says on this issue, Right. And certainly we agree that um, we need to handle issues of, of sexuality very graciously, teach about them very graciously, and be willing to graciously disagree with people. Um, but we do believe that the Bible is true, and we do believe that what the Bible says about sex is pretty clear. But this isn't just a progressive issue. This isn't something that's only moved in one direction. It cuts in all directions in, in, amongst people at church. So another one that's a really easy one is we, we believe the Bible says not to get drunk. It's pretty plainly in the text. Uh, we think it's fine to drink. I drink, um, but we do believe that we're not supposed to get drunk because the Bible says that. And a lot of people will just blur that. And an easy way to blur that is is by saying something like, "How do you define drunk?" Like it's, I don't know, you know, did I cross the line or not? It's not very clear. It's like ah, I think you probably know. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Um, this isn't actually that complicated, but it's a thing that we do want to complicate so that we can. Uh, you know, do what we want to do. But if you're on the conservative side, and maybe you wholeheartedly agree with the two examples I already used, I think it's pretty likely that you might be doing something very similar around issues of wealth, around issues of caring for the less fortunate. I think when you jump for narratives that basically say any way of helping people is hurting them because you're not empowering them to take care of themselves, uh, around immigration, around welfare, around racial reconciliation and racial inequality, I think there are a lot of opportunities for the same kind of thing built into the conservative playbook. And then with younger conservatives, there's a tendency to welcome a distrust of structures, governmental structures, political structures, which isn't unfounded. I don't particularly trust them either. I am one of these young people, right? 
but young conservatives, um, that sort of gives them license to do something along the lines of it's all corrupt. I don't like any of it. I wish I didn't have to participate at all, but since I should participate in some way, I guess I'll just do whatever puts the most money in my pocket. Right. And then if you're a Christian, you just have to add like, so that I can give the most money away and you're acting in your own self-interest and you got there by doing this blurring of saying like, oh, who knows what's right to do since the whole thing is so messed up and so corrupt. So that's bad faith discovery or in this example, what we call intentionally blurring um, where you basically manufacture uncertainty out of a situation that actually might be pretty clear. But I want to contrast this with, with healthy disagreement because healthy disagreement is an important thing and something that the church hasn't always done super well, but something that we really value a lot at LifeBridge. So we don't, please don't hear me saying, you have to agree with everything that the pastors say all the time, or the pastors are always right, or you need to trust us, don't ask questions. Absolutely not. Um, it couldn't be further from our heart. We welcome disagreement. We welcome people uh, shooting us uh, an email if you didn't like something we said. We really try to welcome that, and we do appreciate it, even if it's not fun in the moment, right? But because we want to value truth and make sure that we're hearing from other people uh, who have different perspectives than we have. But there is a difference between healthy disagreement between people who are earnestly seeking and desiring God's will and seeking to reinforce your ability to keep living the way you want to live. And I honestly, guys, I think we know the difference. I think I know in my own heart and you know in your heart when you're earnestly seeking God's will and when you're just grasping at anything that will allow you to keep um, living the way that you're living. So when something comes up, when you hear something in church or you read something in the Bible, whatever it is, and it doesn't sit right with you and you say, this doesn't, this does not fit with my experience or this isn't how I live or I just don't agree with this, whatever it is, we encourage you to dig into that, to explore it and say, okay, God, what I want to know what's true and I've got some tension around this and I'm going to, I'm going to dig into that and seek out truth. We encourage that a hundred percent. And if you do, if you, if you go through that process and at the end of it, you're like, I still disagree with the pastor. I still disagree with, um, the way they interpret the Bible here, whatever. Let us know. We would love to hear from you in that situation. And if you're in a spot where you, you've really done your homework and you feel confident in your position, then you would be comfortable doing that. Now I understand not everyone's going to feel comfortable approaching, you know, John, for instance, who you, John, you're a seminary graduate and, and debating the Bible with them. I totally get that. And that's not a reasonable thing for us to expect of you is like, we'd say it to her face, right? That's not, that's not at all the heart or the point. But there are a lot of times when people go find other information, not for the purpose of earnestly seeking after the truth, but rather simply to reinforce what you already think because you don't want to change. I do it. I'm tempted towards it all the time. I think we all are. And I think that is this bad faith discovery idea. That is something that we need to avoid. If we're going to disagree, it has to at least be with an agreement that we desire the truth, we desire God's will above all else. And even if we've gone through that process of discovery and finding more information and we, we recognize that it is, it is still not something to, uh, a hill to die on, for example. Like after going through that process of discovery, we have a lot more grace and a lot more understanding for people who have come to a different conclusion because we can articulate their position really well as well. Absolutely, 100%. So that's intentional blurring. We want to talk about uh, the other form that this bad faith discovery takes, which we call willful avoidance, which is more about maintaining plausible deniability of something that you didn't know about. But if you're actively avoiding knowing about it, then that's a big problem. Recently, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries put out, they, they released the full... Um, report 
from their private investigation into Ravi Zacharias and his alleged um, sexual misconduct while he was alive and while he was working with the organization. And it was quite startling. Um, basically, the independent report found a lot of the accusations, actually, I think all of them, as far as I'm aware, to be true or to be very credible. Um, and as the report came out, they, the, the board, they just put out a large statement apologizing um, for their conduct in the middle of the investigation, which one their conduct in the investigation can easily be described as just willful avoidance. Um, in the report, it documented a number of people who worked for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries saying things like you know, bringing up concerns um, and high ups in the organization basically just saying, like, you don't know Ravi like I do. Uh, he's a good guy. These are obviously false claims because I know him and not even willing to go down the road of exploration. Uh, one example that really stuck out to me was the investigators were asking for Robbie to turn over his phones, his personal phones and his business phones to the, uh, to the investigation. And they didn't make him do it. Uh, the, the board did not ask him to do that probably because they didn't want to know what was on there. They wanted to continue in their willful ignorance of, uh, we, we don't know. So, but we do know his character. We've seen him do good things. His ministry is effective, all of this stuff. So we, it kind of, it smells like when you read this report that they just, they just didn't, they didn't want to know. And they could have saved, you know, three years of abusive behavior uh, if they would have taken action and done what was right the first time these accusations came up. You talk about like clear red flags and sometimes I think there is, there's a mental block for people where it's like, I just can't go there because I believe this about this person, whatever. But like, you know, if I, if you know me and you find out that I have four phones, uh, forget about whether or not I'm willing to sh show them to you. Like that's already a huge <laughs> exactly. red flag having four phones, right. big red flag. Right. right. Um, and, uh, and so they're, that's, they're avoiding what would have been a very painful process. They're avoiding what would have been a, a, a reckoning with the public. They're avoiding, in their mind, probably trying to save people's jobs, trying to keep the ministry going. There's a lot of ways to justify it, but ultimately there were clear signs that something unethical and something sinful was happening and they avoided it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're getting at is that it's, it really comes down to a heart issue where it's only something that you can truly know if you're practicing willful avoidance, we'll say, or if you're just, you just don't know, right? Like nobody's blaming you for the things that you don't know. Um, the question is, what do we do when we have the information and the information is presented to us? Do we like to get defensive or do we just shut it off really quick and try to ignore it so that we don't have to wrestle with it or factor that into our pre-existing narrative on this issue? Um, and, and I think one of the things that is really important for us to focus on is just getting at truth. We have to keep that in our mind as the goal. We're not trying to just affirm an opinion that we have. We're not trying to just keep our life the same. We're just not just trying to make, uh, make our life the way that it is, right? We, we want to get at truth. That has to be the priority here. Um, an example, I guess, from my life when I was uh, thinking of race relations and reconciliation, there was a ton that I, just, I did not know. Like I had no idea the history of racism in America um, up until, you know, a few years ago when this started to become a, uh, a major 
topic that our culture is wrestling with right now. So as I'm learning more and more information about racism in the history of America, even from the 1960s to today, uh, some of the policies, some of the legislation that has been in place, some of the cultural movements, things that have happened since then, as I'm learning more and more about this, it is challenging my narrative of America and the way that I think about, uh, I think about things like racism and privilege and all of this stuff. It, it's challenging that. It would be very easy for me to just ignore these completely and say, oh, no, 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 you know, redlining didn't happen or just write it off uh, sure. to fit my narrative. Or if we're after truth, which is very uncomfortable for me to sit and wrestle with, how did that impact our society today? And that's what I've been wrestling with right now and really trying to think through and, and try to get at the truth of where we are today. And I, I, I always encourage people when they, when they are struggling through something or have questions about faith, I always, I always, I never encourage them not to ask the, those questions. I always encourage yeah, them to absolutely. dig in because I believe that it's true. And I think it's crazy when, when, you know, when people talk about their experiences where like I had this question and they said, well, we don't ask questions or whatever. Yeah. That's something that you would say if you don't believe it's true. Yeah. If you believe it's true, you say, ask your questions, discover, go for it and see where it takes you. Right. And so, but we do have those times where I think sometimes people who, you know, you grew up in the faith like us, we, we sort of, maybe we fear that like this whole thing is going to unravel right. if I allow the, if I allow myself to go there, if I ask this question, the whole thing's going to unravel. And, um, I just don't believe that. Right. When we, when we honestly, with good faith, ask questions and, and we're willing to have our mind changed, we're willing to have the way we think about it, the way we do it, whatever changed that is that's discipleship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just have to be about the Bible either. It's it's about I'm willing to if if there's a different way I'm supposed to engage with this issue in the world, I'm open to that and I'm trying with good faith. I'm seeking truth. I'm discovering, right? We kind of make fun of college campuses that promote these safe spaces, right? Right? Or don't allow anyone to come in with a contradictory worldview or opinion. And and for a while those have been the butt of many um many jokes in my circles, right? Um, but that's kind of what we're doing to ourselves in our own thinking is just creating a safe space where nothing challenges my perceptions or my worldviews and my ways of thinking about things. And that's, that's, I think we can all see, I don't need to articulate and kind of lay out where the danger of that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it. Like it, it's tough to be an expert in everything now, but I think what I, what I was driving at before is we, we have to pick the things that are most important. And the things especially that directly connect to our faith or that scripture does speak to of how we are to live in, in, in our current culture, we can't just be willfully ignorant of those, right. especially when that information is presented to us and it's right in front of us. We have to do something with that. Um, we, can't just, we can't just avoid it. We can't just ignore it and continue living on our lives because scripture should be what guides ultimately. It is our ultimate authority for truth and for uh, ethics and behavior. And that has to guide us. So when we are confronted with these things, we have to make decisions. And it kind of puts us in an uncomfortable place where what's going to change? Is it uh, we just reinterpret scripture or do we move or move in our behavior, uh, in our thinking towards what is truth? It's really common for people to say, like, I turn off the news and I'm a lot happier, right? There's a ton of truth to that. Ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. 
It really is sometimes when there's bad stuff happening in the world. And um, when my life is good and other people's lives aren't good, it it's there's always going to be a temptation to stick my head in the sand and to not know that that's happening and to avoid it as best I can. Because once I know, then maybe I have some responsibility. The point we're saying is like, it's not turn back on the news and know absolutely everything. We're not going to know everything. We have to sometimes just say like, look, I don't have the bandwidth for this. I can't know everything perfectly. Of course, of course. But I think we know when there's something different happening in our hearts. Yeah. I think we know when we hear something and we say, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. I, I, if that's true, I would prefer not to know. There is this desire sometimes like, I would rather just stay in the dark on that if I could, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to how we engage with the world, when it comes to what is true and what is the what is God's will for our engagement with culture, with politics, with our world, staying in the dark on purpose cannot, that cannot be our goal. When you feel conviction in your heart about something, it might be the Holy Spirit. It might be God telling you, dig into this, mm-hmm. learn, grow, and we should not avoid that. We believe if you truly seek the truth, that, that Jesus is the embodiment of, uh, both in your faith and in, in the way that you engage in, uh, in the world. Like we believe that you'll find it. Mm-hmm. You won't be an expert on everything. You won't, and you won't never make mistakes, but you will, you will find real truth and you will, you will find real grounding for the ways that you not only believe and, and read the Bible, but, but real grounding for how you engage in our world with wisdom. Seek truth in good faith. Avoid these pitfalls of bad faith discovery. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon.